All right, let's get started tonight. Um, I gave you a little handout that might help you. has a bunch of scripture references on it um, for your study. Anyways, we're talking about fasting. This is part number seven of our spiritual discipline series. It is the last part um, of our spiritual discipline series. And uh, so we're going to tackle this. And uh, I believe next week we're having a missionary, right? Yeah, so we're going to have a missionary next Wednesday night, which will be pretty cool, uh, and then we'll figure out where we're going to go from uh, there. But uh, this is going to end our series, Fasting, and as has been uh, um, usual practice, at least for the weeks I've been doing this, I feel like it's important to define some of these words, because they're words that, like we've said before, we use in church, and we don't really use outside of church very often. And so I think it's important for us to get an understanding of what these are. Um, NIV Compact Dictionary of the Bible describes fasting like this. It says simply that it's abstinence from food and drink. Uh, and then there's a book that I've been using as a source for some of this series. Uh, it's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. You can actually see the uh, information on the paper I gave you for that book. Uh, here's the definition that the author gives for fasting. He says it's a Christian's voluntary absence from food for spiritual purposes. Uh, and I think that there's, there's some importance to defining fasting like this. Uh, first of all, it's a Christian's voluntary uh, abstinence from food and from spiritual, or from food for spiritual purposes. I think the word Christian is important in there because let's be real honest and just get it out of the way that if, you know, there's a non-Christian that's fasting, it's not really providing them any eternal significance, Right? It may be a dietary thing. It may even be part of their religious system, but it's not really giving them any sort of eternal significance if they are not serving God Almighty and they're fasting. Uh, and so I think our motives for, for fasting in the sense of spiritual discipline should be that, um, something that it's, it's God-centered. Uh, so it's a, it's a Christian act uh, in itself. And then the thing is voluntary, another word that was in there, Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Fasting shouldn't be coerced or forced upon anybody. Uh, fasting should be something that we, we enter into um, you know, voluntarily or at least in the sense that we're following God's command to do it. Uh, in other words, you're not going to follow somebody else's command. Nobody should guilt you into fasting uh, or make you feel like you are less of a Christian because you're not fasting like them or because your fast doesn't look like them or something like that. Uh, this is something that's entered into um, voluntarily. The Bible only mentions fasting in reference to uh, this primary sense, that is abstaining from foods and drinks in certain situations. Uh, and so most of our discussion tonight will be focused on that because, like I said, that's where the Bible uh, speaks. Uh, we will, you know, we can talk about a little bit um, fasting and abstaining from things other than food, um, which you know, you'll see on your list there. Uh, we can talk a little bit about that. Um, but let me say one more thing about fasting before we really dig into things tonight. Uh, just in terms of defining it, uh, I think one thing that's important to be said about fasting is that, um, again, we said we don't coerce people into doing it. Uh, we don't guilt people into doing it, and hopefully you're not being guilted into or coerced into doing it. And another thing, like I said, in terms of defining it uh, to be said is that it's not done, we don't fast to earn some sort of special blessing from God. Uh, and what I mean by that is that uh, when we fast, we're not trying to earn something that the Lord wouldn't otherwise give us. Um, 
You know what I mean? We're not trying to be extra spiritual and extra awesome so that God looks on us with extra favor. In fact, I would say in my personal opinion, and really kind of from studying passages dealing with fasting in the Bible, I think fasting actually does more to turn our hearts toward God than it does for God to turn his attention to us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's really the motive and the goal of fasting. It's not, hey, God, look at me, I'm fasting. God knows you're fasting, and God knows the situation that you're in even before you even decided to fast. Uh, and so we don't need to get God's attention. Uh, it's really about us turning ourselves toward God. And sometimes it takes, uh, you know, getting things out of the way. We're so good at getting things in between us and God. And sometimes we have to consciously make decisions to get things out of the way. And, uh, you know, our abstaining from food or abstaining from other things can help um, even if it's not necessarily in the way, like, you know, most of us wouldn't say that food is in the way of our relationship with God. Um, but yet setting aside those things sometimes helps us to better focus on God. So those are def- definitions of where we're at, just to give you some thoughts. I tried to leave you some, pap- some room on this um, to take notes as we go through. We're basically going to walk through both sides of this paper tonight um, so you can uh, sort of follow along with us. And we'll talk a little bit. Uh, we'll read some scripture um, and, and we'll have some discussion as well. So, but I just want to walk through this. I've divided this first um, part of, of this paper um, to, into four different columns that kind of describe different things about fasting. Uh, they describe types of fasts that are found in the Bible, um, what the participation is like, who is participating in the fast, um, how frequently they fast, and also the durations of how long some of the fasts are. There's a lot of scripture on here, and so I encourage you to take it home. It, you can fold it up, keep it in your Bible for the next time you're fasting and you need something to read, or uh, if you're going to study it. But there's, I mean, this is some good, good stuff to study, so I encourage you to hang on to this and take notes on it um, if you can. But we're going to start with looking at types of fasts, and we're going to discuss what some of these things are. The first type uh, of fasting that we might talk about is called a normal fast or a regular fast. Uh, and this is basically abstaining from food, uh, but not water, probably, not water. Uh, this type of fast is probably pretty common for most Christians. Uh, you know, well, uh, when we talk about fasting, this is probably one of the first things that comes to our mind. There's some scriptures for it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse number 2. It says this, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, so this is talking about Jesus. It's in reference to Jesus. And we know the passage of Scripture, right, that Jesus is led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And during his time in the wilderness, he is fasting. And he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, he fasts. And at the end of it, he is hungry. Um, Luke tells the, the same account from a slightly different perspective. Luke chapter 4 Um, verses 1 and 2 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So again, we see both these passages mention that Jesus fasted from food and that he was hungry at the end of his fast. Um, Wouldn't you be hungry if you didn't eat for 40 days? Yeah. Some of you are hungry if you skip lunch and breakfast. I'm with you. I'm with you. I understand. Um, these passages say that Jesus fasted from food, but they, and they say that he was hungry, but they don't mention anything about him fasting from water or say anything to the effect that he was thirsty at the end of the fast. And so when it comes to fasting, I want us to know this, that there are certain requirements uh, that our body needs to stay alive. Um, 
We can survive many weeks without food, but we can only do about three days without water. Um, and so there are some fasts where we abstain from water, and there's even some in the Bible where that happens. Uh, we call those absolute fasts, which are a little bit further down on the list. Um, they usually only last for a couple days. Why? Because, well, if you don't have water, you're, you're not going to do so well <laughs> if you don't have water. Uh, you need water to survive. Uh, there are also some supernatural fasts where we see people uh, you know, going without food and water for a long period of time. Um, those only happen because of God's supernatural power, and we'll look at those as well. Um, but anyway, back to Jesus. Because the Bible mentions in several places where people fast both food and water, uh, I feel pretty confident in saying that Jesus was probably just fasting food and not food and water together. Um, it's a good example for us to follow, and it's one that, uh, like I said, a lot of us have probably done. It's pretty common, I think, in Christian circles um, to do this normal type of fast. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've done it, and I know a lot of you have done it, and uh, a lot of us will probably still do it at some point in the future. There's also a fast called a partial fast, which is basically one that limits your diet to certain foods um, or to smaller portions of food. And again, Bible examples. I want to give you some Bible examples. Um, sometimes we call this the Daniel fast for this passage that we're getting ready to read. It's in Daniel chapter number one. Um, I'm going to start in verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So here's what's happening. Daniel and uh, everybody else are living in captivity, and the king has given them all these types of food. And uh, Daniel's like, hey, I don't want to eat any of this. And the guys that are in charge are like, if you don't eat this, the king's going to know you're not eating it, and he's going to kill us because <laughs> we're the ones in charge of you. Uh, and so here's what Daniel says. He says uh, to the guard, Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine and they were to drink um, and give and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables and said. So that all happens. The guard's like, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll test you. Daniel eats vegetables. Uh, again, it's all about, you know, uh, glorifying God in, in, within this. And so Daniel and his buddies eat vegetables, and they end up looking better than everybody that's gorging themselves on meat and wine and all of this choice food. Um, and so that's kind of what happens. So we call this a Daniel fast. Sometimes it's vegetables and water only. Sometimes it includes things like grains and juices. Um, but it's a, it's a voluntary abstaining from certain foods that would otherwise be a part of our normal um, diets. John the Baptist, we could also put in here, the Bible says that John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey. That's a good fast. It's like survivor fast or something. Um, really, that was a type of fast for him uh, and for his disciples as well. We don't know how long John restricted his diet like this, um, but I would call it a fast because really John could have had other foods, um, but he was choosing not to have other foods. He was choosing to do uh, that because it was fitting with who he was and what his mission was. So it was a fast. Um, 
Quickly going through the other ones, uh, there's an absolute fast, which means abstaining from all foods and liquids. Um, there's scripture references there for you to study. We won't read any of them, uh, but they all mention specifically that people went without food and without water. Uh, and we may undertake a fast like this, but it will probably only be for a couple of days again, just because of our simple need for uh, water. There is a fourth category called a supernatural fast, and there are a few examples of supernatural fasts. Uh, that is that they're, they're fasts that can only be undertaken by the supernatural power of God. And let me read an example. This is Deuteronomy um, chapter 9, verse 9. Moses is, is speaking, and he says, When I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. So here we have Moses not just abstaining from food for 40 days, but water as well. Uh, as we know, your body cannot survive 40 days without water. So um, clearly God was supernaturally working in Moses to allow this to happen. Um, we see a similar thing in 1 Kings with um, Elijah being strengthened uh, and going, uh, you know, 40 days without. Uh, but it means that he was, you know, these people were sustained by God supernaturally to be able to do this fast that normally your body cannot handle. Um, so nowhere in anything tonight am I telling you that you need to fast for 40 days without water. This is the kind of thing that you undertake when God, you know, gives clear instruction. And I want us to look at these people. We're talking about Moses and we're talking about Elijah, um, biblical examples of, of people doing this. Um, these are, I don't know how to say this nicely, these are big deal people, not to say that we're not important, <laughs> but these are people that had a huge impact on God's plan for Israel, and they were leaders in, in the nation, in a sense, uh, and leaders of the religious culture in Israel. And so, I mean, I think, you know, there is a thing that God, I think, puts on leadership, especially in that type of position, uh, to do things that normal people may not be called to do. So, you know, God may not ever at any point call you to do something like this, but uh, if he does, make sure that it's something that he's really called you to um, before you undertake something like that, because you need his, his strength um, to, to go that long. So, um, one more type, the non-food fasts. Again, we don't really see this in Scripture. Um, this has become... It seems like especially common for us, I would say, in um, you know, probably the last few decades in the church, um, fasting things that are not food. Um, there are some very good reasons to do that. I know some people have medical conditions where they may not be able to fast food and water um, and things like that. And so, of course, you know, they want to participate in, in fasting, but they know that, um, you know, again, unless God specifically calls them to do it and is going to provide that supernatural power needed to sustain you, you know that you might need food just to, you know, whatever, keep your blood sugar in order or whatever other medications and, and medical issues that you might have. So there's some really good reasons to not fast. Uh, and examples of things that people give up are, you know, instead of food are huge. I mean, some people give up TV, some people give up um, you know, social media. Some people go without caffeine and coffee. Um, man, how bad it is to go without coffee, right? Because when you fast food and drink anyway, you go without probably caffeine. Um, but, uh, you know, they'll do all these different types of things instead. And, I, you know, whatever you want to do, I guess, in terms of what, what you feel comfortable between you and the Lord, um, in terms of fasting, if you're not going to fast food, I, I think is good. Uh, I do just want to say this, though. I feel like sometimes we use 
this non-food fast thing is, is almost kind of like an excuse to not <laughs> fast food. Um, not fast food like McDonald's fast food, but you know what I mean. Um, abstaining from food. We use these things kind of an excuse because I'm just going to tell you, it's a lot easier for us to give up TV than it is food. Even if you watch TV every day, it's a lot easier for you to give up TV than it is food. And like I said, if there's a medical reason and there's some legitimate concerns and things, and I'm not saying that there's not benefit, there's always benefit to us setting aside time we would normally sit in front of the TV or in front of our phones or the computer or whatever and spending more time doing spiritual things. There's always benefit to that. That's never a bad thing. Uh, But to use that in place of fasting when there really isn't anything that would prevent us from fasting, um, I think sometimes we can do those things because they're easy instead of, you know, following um, uh, a a true fast where we're giving up um, food. Because I think, you know, we talk about sacrifice, and, uh, you know, I think God, uh, I think there are some things that, 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 will help us if we give up, and it will help our relationship with God if we can give up some things that are difficult for us to give up um, in sacrifice in in that manner. So I hope that makes sense um, to you. I'm going to go through the rest of these things. I'm going to try to go through them quickly, uh, and then we'll have a discussion before we move to the back side of the paper. But let's look at participation. You know, when I was growing up, I remember reading the things in Matthew about Jesus when he talks about prayer, and he says, go into your prayer closet and shut the door and do it all in private. And then in that same passage, he talks about fasting uh, in that same sort of context. And so you get the same idea from fasting, right? That it's a private thing. He talks about the Pharisees and how everybody sees the Pharisees fasting uh, and everybody knows they're fasting. And so I thought for a long time, you know, I was younger, like, oh, I can't tell anybody I'm fasting. Like, that's not a biblical thing. It's supposed to be, you know, just me and God. And so I think there are some different types of fasts, uh, and I don't necessarily think that's what Jesus was talking about. I do think there are private and uh, personal times of fasting. And we see this in Matthew chapter 6. This is where Jesus is talking about fasting. He talks about fasting in secret, um, keeping up appearances so that you don't intentionally make yourself look like you're fasting. Because uh, that's what the Pharisees were doing, right? They were making it look like they were fasting. So everybody was like, oh, look at them. Look how spiritual they are because they're fasting and you can see that they're fasting. And so, you know, they're making a show and a spectacle of this. Um, but uh, I do think there's, there's a part of this that talks about fasting being a personal thing, being a private thing. Um, there can also be congregational fasts, and I know that we are in the midst of that now, talking about praying and fasting for um, the elections that are coming up, and we did it at the beginning of the year. We asked you to fast and pray, uh, and we've done it at other times as well, and there's some scriptural precedent for that. Um, Acts chapter 13 Verses 1 through 3 says this, Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And this is what verse 2 says. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they, all of them together, you know, all these people, and maybe even the, you know, uh, the, the whole church there, um, they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. 
And then verse 3 says, so after they had fasted and prayed some more, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Uh, so there's this idea that fasting can also be a corporate thing. Uh, and then the last thing is a national fast. We see this uh, mostly in the, the Old Testament, not so much in the New Testament, uh, because the Roman Empire was hostile to Christianity. But uh, we definitely see it in the Old Testament um, in the nation of Israel, Second Chronicles. Some people came to... Uh, to Jehoshaphat and said, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already uh, in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. And so people are coming to the king and saying, hey, king, there's people coming and they're going to take us over and they're going to kill us and they're going to hurt us. And this is what verse three says. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. So in other words, everybody is fasting. Uh, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord indeed, and they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Uh, and uh, one more in Esther, um, then Esther chapter 4, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you, go, as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So even in this passage, Esther, uh, even though the Israelites are, they've been displaced from their home, they're living in another place under captivity. And even so, they're functioning as a people, maybe not politically, but as a a spiritual nation. uh, And they're all called to fast and they fast. And even Jonah Uh, so cool. Jonah goes to Nineveh and preaches and revival happens in Nineveh. You know what the king of Nineveh says? He says to all of his people, he says, I'm going to decree this. We are going to fast, not just the people, but the animals. He says, none of the animals are going to have any food or have anything to drink. We are going to fast because we have heard the God. We've heard the message that has come from God and we are responding to it. So even, um, even a non-Jewish nation uh, is still experiencing this fast. Uh, as far as frequency goes, there are fasts that happen on a regular basis. Um, you know, for example, all the Jews were to fast on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. We know that the Pharisees had developed a practice of fasting on a regular basis. And, you know, for all the bad things that we say about the Pharisee, I think that, you know, at some point they started with good intentions. <laughs> um, they started with good intentions about a lot of the things that they did. Uh, to bring it into a modern context, you may practice this on certain days of the week or certain days of the month. Uh, and then there's occasional fasts that are undertaken when the need arises. Um, and there's some scripture there, so you can kind of see what those are like. And then there's a lot to say about duration, a lot of different types of uh, times and durations, uh, everywhere from like a half a day, because there's some passages where something happens, and then it says they fasted for the rest of the day, so it wasn't even like a whole day. So you go all the way from that, all the way up to 40 days, and maybe even beyond, because there's fasts that aren't even specified. So all that to say, hopefully this will help you, but I, wanted, I want you to get this, that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to fasting. There are lots of different types There's different durations, there's different frequencies, there's even different things that you can abstain from. There is no one-size-fits-all to fasting, and so what that means is it it might look different for each one of us. Uh, Most of us at some point will probably do a normal fast where we don't eat food, but we drink water. It will probably be private, uh, and it will probably be occasional, that is not regular, and the, you know, a regularly occurring thing, and it may vary by duration. But just because that's what a lot of us might do, that doesn't mean that's what all of us have to do. And that doesn't mean that when you fast, every time you fast, it has to be like that. 
Uh, and this just brings me back to what I was saying uh, when we started that, you know, it's probably not best for us to mandate what fasting should look like for somebody else. Uh, and it's probably not best for us to feel like we're having that mandated to us. Um, you have this with lots of different scriptural examples of different types of fast, different durations, all this different stuff. Uh, so there is no one-size-fits-all, but there is a, a, a importance to fasting. So I think it would benefit us if we really embraced this and we really, um, you know, took the initiative to fast in accordance with the things that we felt like God was laying on our heart or the things that God wanted us to do, uh, because it's important. And in a second, you know, we'll have a little bit of discussion here, and then we'll look briefly at some reasons for fasting uh, and why we might want to do this in general. Uh, but I think it's good for us. I, I do think it's good for us. It's good. I'm going to move on uh, for time reasons so we can get through at least some of this stuff on the back. Let's start uh, with some reasons for fasting. And the first thing I put on here, um, and again, you know, most of this has has come in one form or another, at least been inspired by uh, this this book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life and the Bible. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he did all the hard work of, you know, going through a lot of these scriptures uh, and things. But uh, strengthening prayer, I mean, reasons for fasting. Why do we fast? Well, uh, one of the reasons that we fast is for strengthening our prayer. And uh, you'll notice as we go throughout all the rest of these, um, God's guidance, God's protection, expressing repentance, overcoming temptation, everything that's on there, you'll notice as we go through them uh, that they are all tied back to and they're all grounded on this point, that fasting strengthens our prayer life. Um, fasting and prayer go hand in hand, and it is the, you know, prayer is really the main focus of, of fasting, what it's all about. So as we go through the rest tonight, I hope you'll pick this up. Um, and I just want to read a few scriptures so that you can kind of see the connection. Ezra chapter 8, verse 23 uh, says, So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Okay, so you've got fasting and prayer going together. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So we've got prayer, uh, petition, and fasting again together. And what we read from Acts earlier, Acts 13, verse 3, So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So again, fasting and prayer tied together. They're tied together really through all of it, fasting and prayer. We talked about, you know, the purpose of fasting isn't so much to get God to look at us different. It's to help us look at God different, help us turn to Him. And we really see that, uh, really see it expressed in our prayer life. So it goes hand in hand. Um, secondly, seeking God's guidance. Um, we see biblical examples of people who are fasting uh, because they need God's guidance. And there's one, uh, you know, we talk about this uh, Acts passage, Acts 13, uh, the church is praying and fasting, and God says, set apart for me, um, you know, P Paul and, and was Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, so I have a plan for them, I'm going to send them off. In the very next chapter, in Acts chapter 14, uh, it says this, that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders uh, for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. So they're going out on this journey, and they're they're preaching the gospel and they're establishing these churches and they are praying and fasting over the people that they are putting in leadership in um, these churches, in these positions, and they're committing them to the Lord. So seeking God's guidance in that way. In Judges chapter 20, it says this, uh, there's, there's this military battle going on, this, there's this fighting, 
and uh, Israel's losing. And it says, uh, then all the Israelites, the whole army went up to Bethel, and there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord, and the Israelites inquired of the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant of God was there uh, with Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and son of Aaron, uh, ministering before it, and they asked, Shall we go up again to fight against the Benjaminites, our fellow Israelites, or not? And the Lord responded, Go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. So Israel has done this, and they went, and they got beat, and they went, and they got beat, and finally they are praying and fasting, and God says, Now, you know, because you've come to me, uh, because you did it right, um, I'm going to give them into your hands. Uh, seeking deliverance or protection, there's lots of scriptures. Um, there, the one we read earlier from uh, Chronicles, uh, Je- you know, the, the people come to Jehoshaphat and say, there's an army coming, uh, and they're coming to get us. And uh, verse 3 says, Alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Um, the people came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So they're seeking God's deliverance uh, and his protection. Um, and even in a personal sense, David talks about in Psalm 109, talks about how he um, is being chased by people. And, you know, as many of the Psalms is, David's fearful of what's happening. And he says in verse 24, my knees give way from fasting, my body is thin. Um, so he has been, you know, fasting before the Lord for um, protection and deliverance. Fasting can be about expressing repentance and turning to God. Uh, that is to say that we're using fasting to express the conditions of our heart. We're not saying that we're using fasting in order to get forgiveness of our sins uh, because we're forgiven of our sins because God loves us and God sent Jesus for us and he pours out his grace upon us. Um, we're not saved because we fast. Um, but that said, fasting can be a physical expression of the things happening inside of our hearts. Um, and there's some scripture references um, there for you as well. And think about the, the Jonah one that we just read, Jonah chapter 3, when the king of Nineveh um, you know, is, is turning to the Lord and he's commanding his people to turn and to fast and to, you know, the, the whole um, putting on sackcloth and ashes thing for repentance of sins and fasting is a part of it. Um, overcoming temptation, which we briefly talked about um, earlier, Jesus being tempted uh, by the devil. That's in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 uh, as well. And I think fasting can help us overcome temptations, again, because it helps us focus our attention on God. That's what it's all about. And so that's where the, the help from uh, the temptation comes, because we're focusing on God um, or at least we should be. That's where our attention is going. That's what helps us express repentance because we're focusing on God. That's what helps us hear the Lord's direction because we're focusing on Him. Um, there's some passages that talk about uh, you know, fasting being an expression of uh, humility. We see it in Ezra. Um, there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God. Um, Psalm 35:13 says, Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself. Uh, with fasting, so there's that aspect of it. Um, just a couple more, expressing concern for God's work. Um, you know, I think about Nehemiah, what happens in Nehemiah chapter 1. Um, Nehemiah was, was, again, as many of these other passages and things we've read, living in captivity uh, because Israel and, and Judah had been carried away and they're living under the rule of somebody else, which we've talked about in Sunday school if you've been with us. Um, and so Nehemiah is living this, and uh, he, he's asking about what's going on back home, where he's from, where his people are from. And in chapter 1, uh, he asked some people, and 
Uh, this is what they say, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Uh, and if we look at the rest of the chapter, I think this passage really shows that Nehemiah is remembering something. He's remembering that God had promised to turn Israel into a great nation. And he's remembering that his people had turned away and even takes it upon himself to um, you know, pray prayers about turning back and gains God's favor and the king's favor to go back and rebuild uh, the walls. Let's read Isaiah chapter 58. This is the one that Greg mentioned earlier, and it is pretty long, but I do want to read the whole thing. Um, Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verse 3. Um, God is, is sort of speaking in all of this, and uh, he says, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. And so here's what's going on in this passage. The people are fasting, but for them the fasting has really become all about just the ritual. And so in other words, they're fasting and they're doing it because it's what they're supposed to do, but their hearts and their focus and their attention is not on God like it should be. And consequently, consequently their life is not changing. And so they're observing, the, I mean, it's kind of like the Pharisees, right? They're observing this fast because it's what they do and it's part of their system, but their hearts are not turned to God. And so God talks about, uh, you know, um, helping other people. And so that's, you know, there's the ministering to other people in there, um, you know, talks about uh, fasting for, for that sake and uh, helping others. But Greg's right in, in, you know, what he said. It's really about, you know, setting the tone for everything. Are you fasting um, just because? Are you fasting because you're keeping your eye on the Lord? Are you fasting because you're turning your heart um, toward Him? And so there's some really good stuff in there for you to uh, study. And one more thing, um, Luke chapter 2 um, there's a prophet uh, named Anna who is at the temple and says that she's old and that uh, um, she was married and then her husband passed. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 2, for, verse 37. Uh, she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And so you kind of get the picture from just that little sentence of her life that she fasted regularly as an act of worship and expression for her love for God um, because she was worshiping God through uh, her fasting. It was allowing her to turn her heart and her attention to God, uh, and so it became an act of worship. So there's a lot uh, there. We didn't get to spend a whole lot of time on that, but there are tons of scriptures, of course, for you to 
um, look at as you go through and as you do your own study uh, of this. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. Pray that you'd help us as we uh, um, go from here and hopefully some of the things that were said and uh, the scriptures that we read and some of the things we talked about would stick with us and uh, God, I pray that you'd help us as we dig through some of the scriptures about fasting and we think about applying fasting in our life. Um, God, I pray that you'd help us to approach it with the right attitude, um, that, that we would approach it in, in a proper way so that we can be open to the things that you have for us, the things that you want to do, the things that you want to speak to us, um, and the ways that you want to use us um, in, in equipping us for um, ministry and in spreading the gospel and in building the kingdom. Um, God, as we, we do this and as we turn our hearts and our attention and our focus to you, and as we allow you to work in our lives, God, I pray that you would do great and amazing things. Um, God, that we would be full of the Spirit, that we would be overflowing with spiritual gifts, and that uh, we would just be um, overflowing with the love of Jesus, God, so that everybody that we come in contact with can uh, see you and feel you and sense you, and uh, God, that you'd use us in a great way. Lord, we thank you so much again for all that you do. We love you, and we ask this in your name tonight. Amen.